Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today we're going to be answering a serious question, why the church is collapsing without men. That's right. We're joined by John Edwards from Just a Guy in a Pew to look at how the vacuum that has been created by men leaving the church has caused so much damage for the last 50 years. So it's time to man up and let's get going. Grateful to have John with us from Just a Guy in a Pew. Uh, it's We've had to, John on the show before. It's, yeah, it's awesome had, to have him in person. We had to move person. all the cameras around so we could fit you in the picture. <laughs> yeah, this is like, not a camera trick. This dude is actually this big. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking. We said, look, we need to get a guy in here to talk about some of the problems that have been created by men not participating in the church. And we're like, why don't we get John Edwards? He counts as two dudes, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I mean, that's how much of a big duty is. But, uh, you know, John, it's always great to have you. You've been on the show a few times before, and we love the things that you're doing with Just a Guy in the Pew, uh, the things that you're doing with the Narrow Road, and all your ministries that you're doing throughout the, um, you know, all the parishes that you go to. So uh, we wanted to talk to you about how men can really start to participate in a proper way that aligns with both their masculinity, their God-given mm-hmm. nature as leaders and protectors, and how their retreat from the church has caused a lot of the problems that we're seeing so vividly in the church it's, today. It's great yeah. to have him too because he's so ingrained in men's ministries, um, and you know, and we'll talk a little, you know, a little bit about his story or whatever a little bit later. But we had you on our show to talk to you about our story, and it's really awesome to see how you transform from who you were into your new life in Christ and, and this dedication that you have to men uh, in the Catholic Church. We thank you for that. Yeah. Looking forward to this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, Father Rich, I'm sure you see this, you know, as a, as a parish priest. The majority of churches throughout this country, the majority of the participants, and thank God for them, has been women, because without them... No one would be going mm-hmm. to church anymore. Amen. You know, and and women. This this episode is not to denigrate the things that the church is blessed to have been received from yes. the participation of women, because we all know. Look, most of us wouldn't even have our faith if it weren't for the women in our lives, That's right. our That's wives, our mothers, point. and our grandmothers. Yep. So this is not at all to disparage the contribution of women, which is necessary and the other part of the necessary foundation of the church. But this is really to call out men saying that we have not been fulfilling our obligation. We've been leaving it to the women. You know, a lot of times they say that the last 30 years have been a fatherless generation because there's been an absentee of fathers and that there's generation raised by women. The same thing is happening in the church, that men have become cowards and have not taken their role as leaders, and we're seeing it systematically and symptomatically in what is happening in the decline of church attendance, in the decline of the apostolic nature of the church, in the decline of the the finances, the fundraising, the upkeep, and so many areas of the church and in the family life. Yeah, I mean, it's it's accurate. I mean, I I see that. I think one of the um, contributing factors of this, and I think it's just in the nature of of how men and women are, are different. Um, you know, Jesus draws women to himself. Like Jesus is the fullness of masculinity. And when you look at how, how attendant the, the women that surrounded Jesus, um, in his public ministry, it's evident, right? And where were they when things got difficult and it's the heart, you know, the darkest moment of Jesus's minute, they were right there right at the cross. All the dudes yeah. left. And, yeah. they, and they all left. And and I think there's something to say about that in respect to the strength of women in relationship to ministry. And, and you know, you see how the church is run. I mean, if it wasn't for Kim, you know, like yeah. locking in and, and driving ministries and, and the girls that are around her and Melissa and Sharon and Tina and, you know, I could, <laughs> the, list, the list could go on. You know, it's, it's just, um, it's amazing. 
Um, but I think there's something very beautiful in the way that women love Jesus. Um, for men, I think men need to be asked in the same way that the apostles yeah. needed to be asked. They needed mm, to, you good know. Good point. So, and, and it, this isn't this isn't going to be a show to like blast brothers that that you know are not active in their faith. But this is really just a show to just reach out to you and express like, hey, we need you, man. We we need you to Amen step up to the front line. And we need you in the trenches because you know we need to we need to be a part of this revival and this reform, and and we need men to step up and and be a be that uh, courageous and adventurous and and sacrificial. You know all the virtues that that are within man. Like we need that now. Yeah, yeah. we do. We need it more than ever. And you know you're making. A good point about the women in relation to what they've done in the church and, and how they've been there. I mean, I look at my own wife. Mm-hmm. She's in grad school. She works full-time as, as an employee at St. Jude Children's Hospital. We have three mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if, if I wasn't living my faith, that's just another thing she would have to do, mm-hmm. right, on top mm-hmm. of everything yeah. else. And we've gotten so comfortable with just saying, <laughs> you know, because they're so willing, right, and because yeah. they love so well, they're really the embodiment of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. That that mothering, just like the Holy Spirit is this, this, this comforter to us, right? It's just like the same thing with a mother. But men have a God-given right to to stand up and claim the role that they were called to have, whether it's the vocation of the priesthood or to fatherhood or whatever it is. And, you know, I think a big problem that's happened is, you know, from the beginning, when we were kicked out of the garden, there's just been this this wound of inadequacy almost, right? It says you will toll by your brow for the rest of your life. And as, as, as men, we can also, also always think, no matter what we're doing, it's never good enough. Right. So therefore, I just won't participate. And that's where a lot of men have been. And if you look at like I'm 44, you know, I was raised by a father who was, you know, uh, raised with six other kids on a farm with parents that basically had them to be farmhands. Uh, There wasn't a lot of love in the house. And so what did I get from my father? Put your head down, work hard, never Mm -hmm. complain, don't need help. Right. If you need any sort of help, you're not a man. And so a lot of guys have that mentality. And so we we kind of focus everything in on work and providing and all of that. And we don't focus on our faith as much because we've always just said, well, my wife will handle that, right? Or or she'll lead them or she'll be the one leading the prayers. But what we found in recent polls lately in the church of the last few years is when the father isn't leading, the family dies as far as participation in the church, mm-hmm. right? When you have a father leading, 92% of the children stay Catholic. It's mm-hmm. a ridiculous amount. Wow. When it's the woman only only leading, it goes to 14%. And so we wonder why we have a church that's dying. It's because our young people aren't staying in the church because men are simply not picking up that role as a father. And I can't tell you how many men that I've heard in conferences and in my travels and people that call into the show or, or email into the show and say, well, you know, I, I spent a quarter million dollars on Catholic education and my kids didn't come out Catholic. It's like, dude, it's not an easy bake oven. You have to live it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you don't pop them in and pop them that's out. Like, you have to live it. And if yeah. you don't do that, and, and somebody told me this once, it was a really good analogy. They said, you know, when a, when a child's young, they're looking at the mother, again, the embodiment of the Holy Spirit, really that mothering and nurturing. And then as they move into that age of, of it's time to start looking at being an adult, you know, those, those middle teen years, okay, things are about to get real. I'm going to go to college. I've got to get a job and a life and all of these things. Naturally, they start looking at the father. And if the father isn't there, it's like two hands that are coming together and they never meet. And the children fall off in the in the crevice, right in the in the in between, mm-hmm. and that's what's happened in our church. And so many men don't realize that because we're too busy buying into the lives of the world that we're supposed to be achieving, getting big houses and cars and the jobs we want and all these things, and we look for all of this um, fulfillment in everything else. And so the only thing that will really fulfill us is mm. that, that's Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah, a lot like um, like in. And matrimony, uh, you know, being married and, and... Is this a universal symbol of matrimony? I'm just wondering, like, <laughs> if you're listening in It's the on clean our, version. Our, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Spotify or Podbean, you know, Delacrosse is just, like, pushing his hands together. And I was just curious, because I'm not married. You know, I'm just... Yeah, I need you to learn. Home in bed all night. by myself. He doesn't know to shut up in bed. You know. Yeah. What was I saying? <laughs> you're talking about matrimony. matrimony. No, marriage. like, so, a, lot, a lot of how you love your spouse basically teaches you how Jesus loves us, like through forgiveness. And then Mm -hmm. this grace opens up and then greater unity opens up. It's the same thing with your kids. Like it, it's, it's a task to embrace a two-year-old child or three-year-old child and then a 14-year-old child. And the, the, the differences that are there requires constant presence and prayer being led by the father. Right. And what that does is it opens up that unity in the family Mm. that, 
you think you get from the security of finances to be able to pay for the house. Yes. That's not it. Yeah. You got to keep yeah. going, yeah. right? Like, and it, and it's hard. And I, I'm really curious to see how a lot of your travels and and speaking and like what's going on right now in our church with men's groups and different things like that. But as for me as a man, like I, I'm I'm a practicing Catholic. I'm not very good at it, but I practice it, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I do that because I do want to pass it on because I've, I've received love and mercy from God. And I, I hope that one day when my kids, God willing, you know, they'll be able to turn to Christ for that love and mercy. So I look at it as a protector for them. Yeah. Like, hey, guys, this is here for you, mm-hmm. you know? And it, mm-hmm. it's different for every De- age. Deli, you're hitting it out of the park, man. And yeah. I, I think, I, you know, and <laughs> let's, let's face it too, guys, if you're out there and you're listening in on, you know, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and you haven't connected with us on YouTube yet? I mean, this is the type of episode you want to hear. Delacross is in full splendor right now and going full Italian. There's all I kind mean, of finger puppets going uh, yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> Shadow puppets. And when you do hit YouTube, make sure you're clicking that subscribe button, hitting that thumbs up, and make sure you're sharing the show on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're even on TikTok. Pod, Podbean. Yeah, yeah we're all over one. the place. So make sure you're spreading the show. And a big shout-out to our patrons. If you want to be a financial supporter of the show and keep this show going, far into the future, go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash Patreon. You'll see all the tiers that we we have represented. We got some cool gear to send your way to say thank you. Now, you know, you guys are are all married. And, you know, Not as, together, we all are individually married. That would be kind of really strange. Yeah, would be yeah. Like, that, yeah, how would that be? We couldn't get a license for hands hands yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of my ass. They wouldn't but, let three people get married on the license. That's the only reason. Uh, but, you, you know, you, you all have, uh, you know, kids, you know, your wife. How do you, when did you like take that step? Was it right away, uh, you know, in, in your marriages where you took that kind of spiritual sense of, you know, I'm, I'm the father of the household. I'm, I'm the, you know, the husband, I'm going to, I'm going to lead spiritually. Um, what led to y'all's story? Cause I'm, I'm curious. And I think everybody else would be curious about that too. You know, here's, here's an important thing that I, I learned in being a father is, you know, you're on an airplane, right? And they tell you, you got to put on your oxygen mask before you can take care of others. Mm. And with the faith, it's very much like that. I mean, you you can't give something you don't have. You can't teach your children something you don't know, right? And for me, it wasn't like, okay, well, I've got kids. I've got to, well, they've got to go to school. They've got to be Catholic, this and that. I mean, there, there was an important kind of obli- obligatory aspect to it. But I realized that if I was going to be the father that I wanted to be, I had to develop and cultivate the faith within myself. I had to get an understanding of the faith so that I would be able to pass something on, so that I had something to give. And encouraging your own spirituality and your own faith, and then leading by example and leading by practice is a lot more than leading by dictate and command. You know, it's it's yeah. leading from in front, not from in behind, you mm-hmm. know? It's jumping into the trench first before you'd ask anyone to follow you in there. Like Jesus. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's you have to be able to lead, and they have to see you ahead of them leading. So if you're just telling them, hey, you have to go to church, okay, mom's going to take you to church. You have to go to church. I'm going to stay home and watch football. They're not going to buy it. Yeah. They're not going to buy it. Kids can sniff out inauthenticity like a... Yeah. Pig can sniff out a truffle, right? Mm-hmm. That's just what they do. And if they can see that you are full of it and you don't really practice it and believe it, they're going to behave in a way that it's not that serious. So it's, again, it's putting on that mask for yourself so that you can help others first. Mm-hmm. That's what I what I learned really early on. I'm like, mm-hmm. I have to be the man that I know I'm supposed to be, and this is an incredibly big part of it. And because of that, it all flowed from that. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's uh, you don't get a manual on <laughs> marriage. You know, you get theology of the body, you get all this stuff, right? When you're actually doing it, it's messy. Um, if you don't, if you're not connected to Christ, at least in some form of prayer, uh, it's very difficult to forgive your spouse. It's very difficult to love in a sacrificial way, uh, with the intention of living your faith in your family life. Um, with with children, it's you know it's chaotic at times, and you you have to intentionally provide space and time where you know the children can see and pray with you, uh, where you can talk to them. A lot of a lot of driving to mass is a good time to talk to them about how we prepare for mass. 
I pray the rosary on hallow every morning in the bus. We drive, nobody talks. We just listen to the rosary. Like our kids want this. Mm. They want a father to lead them mm. to God. They want that. Mm. That's excellent. Yeah. And I would say this, you know, very similar things like what Sheila was saying was, you know, I always hated that phrase growing up, do as I say and not as I do. Mm -hmm. It was the stupidest phrase ever. Yeah, I mean, it's like it who, who actually really ever is. believes that or followed that? It's no like, no, you're my ever. dad and I love you and you're my idol. I saw you do that. I'm going to do that. Yeah. If you don't want your kid growing up slamming, you know, 20 beers a night, don't slam 20 beers a night. Mm -hmm. You don't want your kid cussing and all this stuff. Don't cuss mm -hmm. in front of them. Mm -hmm. We have to live what we preach. I mean, and nowadays kids, they're just like little lie detectors, right? Mm -hmm. They can just mm -hmm. tell, like, he doesn't believe that himself. So why should it matter to me? And the and the disappointing part in that is, is for a lot of people, and, and I have worked with countless men and, and prayed with men that are just sobbing over the way their relationships were with their mm -hmm. father, and how they promised they would never be like their father, but they wound up like their father. And uh, it's because these behaviors are learned. And, and so we have to look at that and go, man, if, if I don't want my children to, to grow this way or be this way, then I've really got to step up. But the problem is... So many of us, we just, we don't want to deal with the real wounds and the real things we have in our life, right? As men, we're told to just shove it all down and keep trucking forward, right? If if you're hurt, don't tell anybody. If you, if you need help, don't ask. Like, this is what it means to be a man, and it's a joke, man. I mean, when I read, and you asked, like, where this really happened for us, so I'll tell you, it didn't happen very well for me for a long time. I was on here and told you all my story for like an hour and a day. Yeah, but powerful. Yeah. There's a link up there in the corner right now, so if you can watch that and very go for later. But, you know, I had a, I had a wonderful wife who stayed with me through a 17-year addiction to cocaine and wow. verbal abuse and all of these things. You know, I never, never physically hurt her or harmed her, but, you know, the verbal abuse often can be just as bad or, or worse. And yeah. I'll never forget when she even gave me a chance to come home and I was trying to change my life. We had moved in this new house, and in our new house had our bedroom, like the, our door was facing the stairs coming down. And I remember I had, you know, started having some beers again and just seeing if I could handle them. And I could, but I didn't feel good that morning because I hadn't drank in a while, didn't want to go to Mass. And I remember just kind of pulling the covers over my head, getting a fight with Angela. She's like, I can't believe you're going to go back to this. And uh, whatever, I'm tired. And being a jerk. And then I can remember as I'm got the covers over my head, Hearing my son, and she was wrestling with his shirt, trying to button his shirt right, which is something I should have been helping him with, right? And I just remember him saying, Mom, why do I have to go to church if Dad isn't going to go? Mm -hmm. And they piled into the van, and I just sat out of bed and hung over and feeling bad, as bad as I was. I got up, I put on clothes, and I went to church. God showed me in that moment, look, if you love your son, then be the father that I called you to be. Wow. If you love your children, then be the father that, you know, that I called you mm -hmm. to be, because there's not going to be anybody else to do this. There's nobody that can replace your role in your life. And unfortunately, for men, for women, all of us, we 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 sort of throw the image we have of our earthly father on God, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And this is, if we had a, a difficult father, then that might be the way that we see God as this judgmental, angry, unforgiving, uh, uncaring person. And, and we wonder why children don't stay in the faith if that's the sort of idea they have of God. And I started to realize that in my life, like not only is this going to be the impression I'm giving them of me, but also of the Father? And if I want them to have a loving relationship with God, then I've got to allow them to build that loving relationship with me. And that means putting in the work, setting aside and dying, as Jesus Christ calls each and every one of us to, right? Dying to self and pick up your cross each and every day to be the Father and the husband I'm called to be so that they can see what love looks like and they can grow up wanting to be in a faith that is all about love. Mm. Man. Yeah, and this you know, is what he do. This is what he do. <laughs> you know, you, really? It's I like it. <laughs> you brought up something I think is important that doesn't get talked about enough. And you, and you, you mentioned it a few times, is that men, our society really tells you, shut up, face down, stiff upper lip, move forward. Yeah. Men have a lot of, men have feeling too. Right. Yeah. I mean, Father Hanky. No, I don't. No, no feelings. Hanky. He is. He's a stoic like man. A stone. Yeah. Man. But you know, I don't have two ducks. I, I, hey, Moses did with that with a stick and it ran water, right? <laughs> you know, a lot of times our society will value people differently, right? They, women and children and animals, loved unconditionally. Men, you're valued on what you produce and what you provide. And if you are not somebody who is providing and earning then you are loved less by our society and oftentimes mm -hmm. by extension by your family because they're a product of that society. And that is a really impactful and detrimental thing to the psyche and the soul of a man because the men have intrinsic value. They should be loved unconditionally like everyone else. 
but they don't often feel like that. And like you said, this gets them to withdraw within themselves. Yeah, I'm just going to watch porn, play video games, drink beer, and screw it all because I'm not loved and I'm tired and I'm not feeling appreciated for all this work and I'm trying and it's getting me nowhere, so why bother? That's a man's natural retreat yeah. is apathy. Okay, mm -hmm. That is how they retreat, into themselves apathetic. And that is maybe the saddest state of a man. But there's some there's some cultural, societal, and psychological things that's causing so many men in today's world to be like that. And that's one of those things that really needs to be addressed is looking at men in their value as people who should be loved unconditionally like they are loved by God. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's so many brothers that struggle with, you know, I, I don't know how to go to confession. I don't know what to yeah. confess. <laughs> yep. What you just nailed is like a perfect examination of conscience for every man. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a perfect examination of conscience for me. You know, people see me in a collar. They see me in all black. That doesn't mean that I'm, I'm active, engaged, and, and ready to roll all the time. Like there's things that I could be very apathetic in or things that I'm avoiding um, in my leadership and, and, and things like that. And we, we have to call ourselves to the carpet and just say, you know what, Lord? Like, yeah, I am being apathetic, and it's time for me to, to take a step. And confession is that step. Yeah. You know, get into the confessional. Manifest your conscience. Step up, realize how much Christ loves you and how he's calling you by name. Yeah. And and to realize what the power of men united in the, in the face of the church and what that means to a woman's heart. My goodness, like how your wives respond to you and your spiritual leadership. I'm blessed that I get to see Jen respond to you. I'm blessed that I get to see Kelly respond to you. I'm blessed to see Anya respond to Howard. You know, it's 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 a beautiful thing. And, you know, I just hearing how your wife is, you know, responding to you. So what's that experience? So she's stuck by you for yeah. all those years, and I could just hear how much you love her. I mean, yeah. and how dedicated you are yeah. to her in your heart. I could just hear it come through. I'm sure everybody listening can hear it too. So, you know, what started to shift and how, how did your how did your marriage kind of materialize uh, through your conversion? Well, I, I can tell you this, like for most of my life, and this is what happens with addictions too, any sort of addiction, I don't care if it's porn or alcohol or drugs, we're all innately selfish and all those things prey on that selfishness. And yeah. you start to live it out even more than you ever did in those mm -hmm. things. And so most of my life, you know, I had lived for me and living for me got me landed in a jail cell mm -hmm. one day, you know, and here, here's the thing. I started to look at my life after I got out of jail and I didn't know how to live, right? I didn't know how to live. And as a former Baptist, the only thing I knew to do was get in the scriptures. And so I started doing that. There was still the pain and the hurt with my wife. You know, she was waiting for the other shoe to drop. John's a good salesman. He's just trying to sell me on the fact that he's not, you know, going to do these things anymore, but when's it going to happen again? And God kind of did me a favor. He told me, John, you can't worry about what she thinks and what's going to happen with her. That's my job. But what you can do is worry about who I want you to be. Mm. And I had told myself the entire time, when I'm sitting on the couch at 2 in the morning shoving Coke up my nose and on my 20th beer, mm. I knew what I was doing wasn't healthy. Mm -hmm. I knew what I was doing wasn't right. But I believe the lies of the devil and what he would show up and tell me, you're never going to be any better than this. You're never going to be any more than the sum of your sins, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're, you never were a good enough basketball player for your father. You never were a good enough employee here. You never were. And the devil finds those wounds that we have. And most men have the wound of inadequacy. That is the root wound from the fall for men is inadequacy. And he knows how to play that card. And so we sit there and instead of saying, you know, I, there's a chance for me to be better. I'm not the sum of my sins. I'm the sum of God's love for me. That's why it's so important to understand that Jesus's baptism wasn't just for Jesus. It was for us. Amen. You know, you were my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, Amen. right? Kicking open the door for us to go back into a relationship with the father, into the Holy family again, mm -hmm. so that we can understand I'm not the sum of my sins. Just because I stole something once doesn't mean I'm always going to be a thief. Just because I did drugs for a long time in my life doesn't mean I'm never going to be anything more than a cokehead. Mm -hmm. You were loved unconditionally and unfathomably. And when, if that's a word. And it if you, that's my southern accent trying to say a word that, that makes it unintelligible. <laughs> but, but at that point, like you're, you're loved so well, and, and we have to come into that understanding. And so eventually, through getting into his word, through a priest that took me under his wing that saw my woundedness and said, I don't care about that, like you're in the sacrament of confession. And I'll say this to men, because men in, our, in men's groups, I hear it all the time. I don't want to go to confession. Why? Because I'm afraid to tell God what I've done. 
And I look and I'm like, what'd you say? <laughs> like for real, if you believe that there's a plan for your life, then God yes. knew what you were going to do before he ever loved you into existence. He knew it was going to happen. He was there when it happened. And now he waits for you in that confessional to do what? To tell you he loves you anyway. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, he physically puts you, a person, in a, in a confessional. This is the immense love of God to say you're forgiven because he doesn't want you walking around the rest of your life with your head down worrying about something that he honestly doesn't care about. God doesn't care about what you've done. He cares about what you have the potential to do. Mm -hmm. But he can't ever tell you that if you don't experience that sacrament, if you don't have the courage to go and let him love you so that that mercy and grace could flow out and transform your life. And that's what happened with me was this priest took me under his wing. He started making me go to daily mass. He started making me go to confession every Friday. He started making me lecture. I didn't know what that meant. I was like, you want me to give a lecture? I don't think you want that. I can lecture on to do a bunch of cocaine at this point if you want to know that. But I don't think that's going to help society or anybody else. But at the end of that, he took me under his wing, and I, and I started to believe the truth of who I am and my identity as a beloved son. And if I'm beloved, then that means there's a loving father. And if that's the case, then there means there's a purpose for my life. And what we're all looking for is joy, and that doesn't come from the car I drive or the house I build or the, you know, the, the sports I play or whatever in life. That comes from knowing who I am, whose I am, and what I'm here for. And that's what men have to find. And when they find that, they can find an authentic relationship with Jesus, which gives us the passion to be that husband and father we're called to be, and then calls us out to go and do what he's asked us to do, which is to bring others to him. You know, John, a couple things in you in what you just said brought up what Delacrosse you talk about a lot, which is vulnerability, right? Yeah. And you know, men are always called to be brave and fearless and stuff like that, but vulnerability is one of the bravest things that you can do. Yeah. And it's very it, masculine. It really is. So I mean, like like you always talk about how like the vulnerability of allowing mercy and the vulnerability of being open in confession, you know, that's that's an important thing that guys fight against. Mm-hmm. They swim against the stream on that. But vulnerability as a man is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Amen. Yeah, dependence on God, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I mean, I, I was in a very similar situation than you. It was just I didn't think God could love me, yeah. right? I didn't love myself. And this is after, you know, getting out into the wind and flying around for a while and enjoying myself, you know, and all these things. And then because I'm not made for that life, uh, you know, it, it immediately just starts becoming like uh, like a, a rigmarole where you're just like you're waking up every day and it's almost like you're programmed. And then you eventually start getting desperate and having despair and all these things. And when God sort of enters into your life, it's it's a sign of his love. It's a sign of his mercy. It's a sign that he's going to be with you forever. All this other stuff left me. You know, yeah. it, it, I thought it brought me joy, and I I just went all in to this uh, lifestyle. And then the next thing you know, I'm just I'm completely empty. So that's kind of like what the relationship with God is. It's like, yeah, it, it alters your life, but it it does in 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 many cases in an incremental way. You know, where you're just and I think apathy has a big deal, uh, you know, a, a big hindrance because it did for me and these excuses that you have. Another thing about preying on vulnerability is like, you know, we're going to talk about David's sin here and, and apathy uh, in Scripture. But another thing is like if you look at all the most demonic things that you can just fathom, what is it? It's 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 men, men praying on vulnerability. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. let's kill this child in the womb. It has mm-hmm. no way to respond. Well, if we just get rid of this problem, it's interesting. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you look at, I mean, if you just look at vulnerability in the world, that is the devil's like avenue to attack. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. More yeah. sexual violence, um, you know, uh, intimidation. I mean, the, the masculine nature can definitely have particular and egregious um, impact on the world because of the man's, you know, natural and biological power. Mm. That's just, that's yeah. just true. Men, ha- men are dangerous. They, and that's a, that could be a good and a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And men should be dangerous because he should be able to de- defend his home. But when that is perverted, that danger is then, or that potency mm-hmm. is right. oriented towards something that's wrong and it becomes destructive instead of protective. And mm-hmm. that middle ground, that middle ground, which the devil loves because you don't really know he's doing it. Yep is the couch, sure. right? It's like, yeah. it's like, I just, I mean, how many times have I been sitting down, you know, on my couch, like I'll be reading a book or I'll be watching sports center or whatever. And the kids come home and there's like this period where I have to kind of adapt. Like, 
oh, I probably shouldn't have been sitting there. You know, I probably should have been waiting for him at the door, you know, whatever. The the thing about vulnerability is it, it can turn right into a very powerful tool for a man. Yeah. And that and that vulnerability is literally the the dependence that you have on God, the friendship that he invites us to, the power, the power and the sacrament to build you up to do things that you're like, wow, I'm like, I can't even believe I did that. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I mean, like, yeah. I can't believe I'm this person. It's And it's because you allow God to come in and heal these areas where you are vulnerable and you're either hiding it and sitting on a couch or you're, you know, you're out there struggling for your salvation and, and struggling for this this relationship with God that eventually fills you up and you're able to give, mm. you know? I think there's a huge, I mean, you both of you are making great points and you, you talked about potency and that's why it's such a fear for men to be impotent, right? And I'm not just talking about it in a sexual sense. It's like yeah. to feel powerless. Yeah. And it's because the world has told us for so long, if you're a man, to be vulnerable is is shameful, right? It's It means you're weak. You're a wuss. I mean, you could throw all kinds of names out there. You're feminine, whatever you want you're to call it. You're a total Howard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that, Howard. You're my boy. Howard's a big, tough you sailor. Just, <laughs> you just gave him a wound. But, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, like that's what the world has said. But God shows us in, in another verse. I know we're going to talk about David in a second, but in second, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to forget it now that I mentioned it, but uh, second Corinthians, yeah, <laughs> second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul goes to God and he says to God three times, take this thorn from my side. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And when mm. that really is what the answer to your question, when I figured that out, that I didn't have to hide this junk anymore, that I didn't have to white knuckle the steering wheel of my life, mm. that I could let go and go, no, I am broken. Because it frustrates me. We all act like we're not broken. I know you're broken. You know I'm broken, but everybody's fine. We've got the disease of fine, right? Mm. And and the thing the is, disease of fine. yeah, we're not fine and everybody knows it. So why continue to pour that effort into trying to act like we are when we're not, when we could take that, that energy and put it into what St. Paul Paul comes to figure out at the end of that passage. He says, if I'm to boast, let me only boast of my weaknesses, my insults, my injuries, my burdens, because when I'm weak, I'm strong. He figured out true strength lies in vulnerability. It's saying, you know what? I am weak and I do need God. And when I understand that, then his strength becomes mine and I can go be the man God calls me to be. And your shirt, it's great. Yeah. Uh, you're not made for comfort. You're made, made for, for greatness. greatness. Pope Papa Benedict. Yeah, yeah, that's my favorite quote in the world, man. Even though the shirt is a comfort color shirt, yeah. so it's kind of a oxy or a, whatever you call it, uh, hypocritical. It's comfortable while not being made for comfort. But, uh, it looks great too. So like, you're, you're killing two birds. <laughs> but yeah, you brought up David too, and it's something I've been really meditating on or thinking about a lot lately and praying with. Uh, you know, one day I was reading that, and, and as a former Baptist, I read it a bunch of times, and we all are familiar with Second um, Samuel. Chapter 11, and that's you know the the title of the passage is David's sin, and so we we, we see this journey of David from being this anointed one and, oh, wow, and slaying yeah. Goliath and and all of these amazing things, and then he's got the opportunity to kill Saul. He doesn't. He's just virtuous, good man, and then one a man day after God's heart, yeah, yeah. A man after God's heart. So he said, a man after my own heart. And so, you know, all of a sudden you open up chapter 11 and it says, at the turn of the year, the time when kings go to war, David sent out Joab along with his officers and all Israel, and they laid waste uh, the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. And then here's the, the line that stuck out to me. I'd read over this so many times. It said, David himself remained in Jerusalem. In the like NSV or the one of the other versions, it says, but David chose to stay home. That's literally the phrasing in that, in that, in that part of the scripture. Now, that caught my attention. I was like, wow, all the kings go off to war, and all of a sudden, David, who has fought, who has, David has killed his tens of thousands, right? right. That's what made Saul mad, was mm -hmm. because they were bragging more on David than him. Now, all of a sudden, this king that had done nothing but show up when God asked him to, or this young man who had shown up, all of a sudden decides not to. And the very next line says, one evening, or the other version says, uh, late one afternoon, David arose from the couch. This one says bed we're looking at, but that one says couch. And it says he chooses to, to wake up and stroll on the roof. Well, guess what happens then? He sees a beautiful woman below naked and bathing. What happens? Bring her to me. His messenger friend says, well, that's your friend. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. that's your friend Uriah's wife. Who's out fighting. Bring her anyway. Yeah. Right? So he lays with her. She turns around, figures out she's pregnant, comes back to, to David and says, I'm pregnant. He goes, 
Uh-oh. Like, uh, the word I can't say on the air. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. You can say it, but you'd have to you put money in the space. That's right. I'd have to. Okay, well, oh, shite. All right, dog. Is that a capital campaign? I've got to build a church here, brother. Anything for you, Padre. But he says that, so he's like, oh, crap. So he calls for Uriah to come home, right? And he's trying to cover his tracks immediately. Bring him home. So here comes one of his best friends that's out there fighting this war, right? His war. Everyone in his country that's a man is out fighting for him. He's napping and sleeping with their wives or that or Uriah's wife while they're gone. So Uriah comes home. He asks him about the battle. And he says, hey, go and enjoy the spoils, right? Go home. Lay with your wife. So he thinks he gets out of this thing, right? He goes, okay, Uriah went home. Well, his messenger servant comes in and goes, no, he slept outside. What? He didn't go home? Uh-oh. All right, bring him back in and let's get him drunk. That's what David does. So this this virtuous man all of a sudden starts plotting and, and trying to get out of some trouble he got in because he was in a place he never should have been in, mm. right? Mm. One day he decided he didn't want to fight, mm. and that laid him in a place he shouldn't have been. So what happens after that? Uriah comes in, he drinks, he gets him drunk, and he says, go home and lay with your wife. And Uriah kind of flips out and has the end of it. He goes, my men are laying on the battlefield. My men are out there. Your men are out there camped fighting your war. I'm not going to go home and enjoy the spoils of my wife. So he goes outside and sleeps on a bench. So what happens after that? The messenger comes in again, tells David he didn't go home. So David says, send him to the middle of the battle or he'll surely be killed. So one of his best friends because he did something wrong, because he simply chose not to fight one day, stayed at home, was in a place he never should have been, and fell to a sin, and the anointed one of God became a liar, a murderer, an adulterer, and a rapist all in the same breath, Mm. and lost this guy. And who's really the virtuous one in the situation? Uriah. Uriah. Mm -hmm. Right? And when this hit me, I started going, this is where we all are as men most of the time. We say we can read this and get high and mighty and be on a pedestal and go, how could David do that? Look at what all God's done for him. Look at what God's done for you, right? But how many times you simply choose to veg out to Netflix instead of reading the Bible? How many times you choose to, to watch a ball game instead of praying? How many times you choose to drink too much one night, not go to Mass the next morning and lose your kids? This is where all of us can fall. And as men, this is where we kind of get into trouble. Like, we, we don't want to deal with our own problems, and, and, and it's the, the lack of wanting to be vulnerable. We're afraid of that, that we pick up our broadswords. And this is why so many Catholic men's ministries, and, and for so many years, have been guys going to war and chainmail and, you know, crosses with, with swords and, and those things. They're trying to call us into virtue. But really what we do as men is we go out and we fight the wrong battles. Right, we're we're taking our broadsword and we're whacking at everything out there. When the real problem is what's in here, there's issues in our own heart, and we can't be good to anybody out there until we start fighting that battle in our heart, those wounds, those issues you're talking about healing. And David gives us a perfect example of what it means we're not living as the men we're called to live as. One day we just choose, I don't want to do this today, taking the day off. Well, that's all the enemy needs to come in there and to mess up your life the way that he messed up David's. Yeah, and I mean, even even in my own life, I can relate to that. And so, I I mean, this is something that never leaves us, right? And so building virtue and and discipline and prioritizing your time and giving it to God, that's a a very important thing. That's a learned thing. And and again, like, you know, you can talk to men in a lot of different places. I met a lot at that uh, men's conference we spoke at, and I heard a lot of stories. And a lot of these guys are in situations that, I mean, they're difficult, you know, like with their children and the Mm -hmm. lives that they live before, you know, having this encounter with Christ to change their lives. So there's a lot of a lot of garbage, a lot of stuff that yeah. they've got to deal with. And it's almost like, you know, if you can envision like, you know, carrying a trailer of a bunch of stuff behind you and then, you know, all of a sudden you stop. Like you're like, okay, I need to change my life. Well, that thing's going to mow you over. You're going to have some lumps <laughs> yeah. right? and you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to put on, you know, a, a whole new, you know, identity uh, in Christ. And it's very difficult to do. So I mean, just as a line of encouragement, it, it's it's never stops yeah. with us. Yeah, this uh, something that stood out for me uh, reviewing these scriptures probably about like three months ago was um, the whole sense that Saul did the same thing to David. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Saul threw him at the front of the line because he wanted him dead, mm-hmm. and it's just like, and it was it reminded me of what you were saying before. It's like we repeat the sins of our father. You yeah. Know, like, Here's here's the king, you know. The, he's the father over this whole this uh, all the tribes, you know. Like, and he's repeating the same thing that wounded him. Ooh, yeah. that's yeah. awesome. You know? It's yeah. powerful. Yeah. And and to realize that, hey, 
The most important thing is what David did after this. Sure. <laughs> you know, the the exposing of his vulnerability yeah. and his shame. That man is you. Yeah. That man is you. <laughs> well, and it happened even after David. Like, you look at it and go, well, what does my one choice matter? Yeah. Right? I messed up. What does it matter? It has repercussions. If you look at the history of Israel after that, after the kingdom, it started sp- splitting, right? I mean, you had one of David's children raped another one. You know, then Solomon, who had promised to the wisest man ever to live, his son, winds up building, what, 600 uh, altars to foreign gods, and, and then God smites all these things, and Israel goes into turmoil, and it all started with the sins of those fathers. You're absolutely right. But here's an important point in all of this, mm-hmm. is that even though David committed these sins, and he gave up being a man, and he raped Bathsheba, yeah. and killed her husband, and got her pregnant, Jesus Christ... His lineage goes through Bathsheba. God can use any broken situation. It doesn't matter what you did. God can use and create salvation, miracles, and goodness out of anything. Nothing you have done is irredeemable with God. There There is one Christ. There is one Messiah. There is one anointed one. And we get a foretaste of that in respect to the prophets, in respect to the prophet that is David. David is a prophet. You know, like we get these glimpses and yeah, amazing that he united the tribes, you know, and and you have this incredible prosperity, but all of that is all pointing to who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing right now. And, and that's, that's the thing. It's like you may be in the most vulnerable place on your journey in life right now. You're, you may feel like all of your actions are dematerializing your whole family and your children are turning against you, your wife's turning against you. Brothers, like I'm telling you, Christ has the power. Amen. And you're, the, you're a testament to all that. But all of us, too, I mean, we've all come from reversions and conversions, you know, to Christ. And Christ has been working with us. And we're not worthy of it, you know? Yeah. Like, it, it, like what you're saying, Del Cross. overtime with yeah, us. Yeah, man. I mean, it's like it's a practice. And we are practicing well, you know? Uh-huh. But, but the thing is, is we're practicing. And that's what being a Catholic's all about. We have the tools, the resources, the sacraments. We have the traditions, the history, the scriptures. Scripture scholars, we have all of these wonderful resources at our fingertips so that Christ, who has established his church for us, to be able to enter more deeply into that calling. Like we have a special calling, and there is special work that needs to be done today, and we need men to answer that call. Yeah, stay in the battle, right? Yeah, right? stay Go in the battle. Ahead. Don't Go. give up. And you man. can't do it alone. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's why you you brought out David and how you know he he had retribution is because another man called him out. Yeah, right. Another man called him out and said that man is you. He told him the story of the neighbor stealing the lamb, and he said that guy should be punished. He goes, that man is you. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we need, and that's why we're trying to go around the country and start these groups for men where it, it's hard to be vulnerable. But if you get one man to open up their life, it's like opening up floodgates because people start to realize, man, I'm not the only one who struggles. I'm not the only one who's messed up. I'm not the only one. And that's all it takes. It's It really is like this superpower to getting men back on track mm-hmm. and then building relationship with Christ and each other through mm-hmm. through places that are built on that. Not, not just something, and look, everything that, anything can turn into just, you know, the same thing over and over again. We can just get in the middle of watching videos and all those things. But where transformation changes is the real sharing of each other's lives mm-hmm. and opening up and saying, you know, I, I am going to be courageous in this moment with people that I can trust. Receiving receiving consolation. I think about what Paul writes about how um, we console others with the consolation that we've received. Like that's, to me, that's like what you're saying is like, you can't receive consolation unless you give something up to be consoled. Right. And that's where the vulnerability comes in. Once you receive that consolation, especially from Christ, like, and you know that he's there for you, like Mm -hmm. in a very meaningful way, then you can share that with others, yeah. right? I think that's a, a important uh, yeah. thing about and your you, ministry. You said something really cool that once, you know, if you get in a group setting, one man opens up, it's like a floodgate. Mm-hmm. And Ryan, I experienced this when we, you did the Estovir, you know, all these men were sharing things, and then everyone's like, okay, cool. We're yeah. allowed to do this here. We're yeah. allowed to share. And then you had that guy in the corner, like you could tell he was just yeah. like not ready yep. to share. Yep. You know, and there was an element of fear in his yep. eyes. Yep. But right? when he sees other men taking the step and being brave mm-hmm. and going into the breach of vulnerability. Yeah. And, and then, then exactly. Yeah. And then what happens is like those guys, remember the the first SOVers, like 
they were up till two, three o'clock in the morning, yeah. just like pouring it all out, you know. And those friendships are still intact. We still today. have them, yeah. 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 And we might as well put a plug in estoverexpeditions.com. We've got room on our expedition to Colorado this yeah, summer. Yeah, so you can go and awesome. cry with all these guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. come on. <laughs> but you can also then, you know, go fishing, hiking. I went on it. It was a great experience, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it was really great. And thing. then my wife does one, fiatexpeditions.com. They did their first one last year, mm-hmm. last summer, and it went really well. But, it's John, you're going around the country, and you're doing something, I think, really novel and something you're approaching men's ministry in a different way than you've seen in most men's ministries. You know, men's ministries in the church a lot of times can be pretty dry, and most men don't really go for them because they're not really built for men. Yeah. They're really just not. They don't take into account how men actually work. But what you're doing is trying to do a different kind of men's ministry. Why don't you tell us about what you're doing and planting sure. these seeds all over? Yeah, oh, thanks. And and, and you're, you're exactly right. I mean, we we can be box checkers pretty easily, pretty yep. quickly as men. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of, okay, we need something for men, so here's an hour, get some donuts, put out some chairs, hit play, and and let's go. And and there's nothing wrong with, with people that are doing that or anything with that. It's just the way things have been done. But here's the thing I found out over the last couple of years. When I, when I walked in and shared my story in a room full of 30 men that had no idea, I mean, they thought we were there to drink beer and talk about planning, you know, fundraisers or something. And then I come in and start crying and tell them about drugs and jail and porn and everything else. <laughs> I'm like, wow, we didn't know we were getting a ticket to this show. You know? <laughs> but every one of their eyes were opening up and they're like, like you said, I can't believe you could say this and people aren't leaving and all those things. Well, you know, what I started to understand is that every guy, I don't care if you're the biggest alpha dog in the, in the room, Navy SEAL, whatever you want to, you know, toughest guy in the world, everybody wants to be seen, loved, and heard, right? Every one of us. We may not want to admit it at first, but we do. We want people to really see us. And so what we're trying to do is look at these things. So we called 500 parishes uh, back in the summer and just asked one question. Do you have men's groups? And, or something spiritual for men is a question phrased correctly that we asked. And less than 14% of them said yes. Mm-hmm. Of those 14%, they, they name this, the kind of stuff that you see in parishes that has been there for a long time. Um, I, I started asking why these don't exist. I had three answers. Well, Father Father wants one, but he's too busy. I mean, Father, you know you're covered up all the time, right? You want to give your heart to something, but you probably don't want to do it if you can't give your whole self to it. Mm-hmm. So therefore, a lot of things don't get started in parishes because of that. Mm-hmm. The thing we said in the beginning, guys want one, but I'm not the right guy. I still drink mm-hmm. too much. I still talk to my wife in a way that isn't charitable. I still do this and that. They wouldn't follow me if they knew that. And then three, formed guys say, well, I'm, I'm in a good place. I want to run one, but I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I started thinking about that. I started praying about it. And look, I've been traveling and speaking and doing men's conferences and things, and those are great days. But I started getting on the plane on the way home going, Lord, what's going to happen to those guys? Like, we just literally shot them up the Jesus roller coaster, and they're going to come <laughs> flying down the other side by Monday to their sins, their problems, the, the boss they don't like, the mm-hmm. cubicle they hate, whatever it is. And, and what's going to be there for them then? And so I knew that these places didn't exist in the church. In prayer, I started hearing St. Paul's name. And I mean, I knew his writings, but I was I kept digging through them. I was like, I don't see anything that he's really pointing me to. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's what he did and not what he wrote. And I looked at St. Paul and he basically said, I'm leaving Jerusalem and I'm going out and starting communities and going to teach people to do what, what I do. And for so long, a lot of ministries have simply said, I want to help. So here's a DVD set. Right. And there's, again, nothing wrong with that. It's just the way things have been done. Right. Just these videos will help your men. But no one actually teaches the people how to actually lead a group. And so when I thought about that, I thought, man, that's what's missing is men are they want it, but they're scared because they don't know how. God put me for whatever reason into walking in a room and sharing my life with men and had no idea what I was going to do after that. But I knew he was calling me to figure it out. I made a lot of mistakes. I, I wrote them down. Um, and I, we had some successes too. And so I started to realize, man, a lot of guys don't want to go to things that are six in the morning. Younger guys, right? I'm working, I'm getting kids ready for school. So have something in the evening, seven o'clock. Do it in the evening after guys are, you know, dads have taken their kids to practices. They've had dinner. You can put your younger kids to bed. You can still get home at 8 30, 9 o'clock at night, have time with your wife and your older kids. So it's a good time for that. But what do men really want? There's a wholeness to a man. A guy doesn't want to just do one thing all the time. You know, we want variety. And so I looked at at that and said, okay, well, we meet four times a month in our group every Wednesday night, 7 to 8, 15. So I went to adoration and said, Jesus, you're the best disciple maker ever. Mm -hmm. Right? What am I going to do? Make the new, new evangelization? (laughs) It's not going to go over well. 
And what did you do? And when I left out of adoration, I had on my journal, I worship, I, I, I formed my disciples, I worshiped with them, I served with them, and I fellowshiped with them. Mm-hmm. I said, it's four very, four very different things. And it's if you're a guy who says, I'm not going to go in a room and cry and share my feelings with guys, then then maybe you'll come and throw an axe with us on fellowship night and have a beer. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll go play cornhole and listen to Led Zeppelin or go to a Grizzlies game in Memphis where I live or whatever. Maybe you're a guy who who wants to serve. Last month alone, we made 550 peanut butter sandwiches for the soup kitchen downtown Memphis in an hour and a half. The month before, we, we boxed up 5,600 meals for Catholic charities in an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's those two things. And, and if you if you don't mind me sharing a story real quick, mm-hmm. I saw where this worked. Like guys started coming and going, man, I really enjoy this. And even guys that never felt comfortable coming into the more spiritual aspects in the beginning, guys have been fur- further away, they would come and, and try the other ends. So, for example, at my parish, you know, our parish for a long time before we started this men's group was known as the place you went to have a good time. Mm-hmm. You want to party, have a beer, go over there. And they have mass too, mm-hmm. right? But we started this group, and when we changed this thing, a lot of this changed. So we had a football coach that was coaching football at my kid's school. He'd been doing it for 10 years, you know, after he had a kid there. He'll take off a week from work and and run our Pierce Festival in 102-degree heat that raises money for all this stuff. But he wouldn't go to Mass. He wouldn't mm. go to anything spiritual, and everybody knew it. So when we changed to this, this style from going just to showing up in a room watching a video for an hour and went to – all right, we're going to do fellowship first. We cooked out in a green space in our parish. Well, there's all these dads living vicariously through their kids, playing football, waiting to yell at the football coach about mm-hmm. why their kid didn't play it. Well, we start rolling smoke, cooking burgers, dogs, um, throwing cornhole, listening to Led Zeppelin, whatever. And all of a sudden, these dads start smelling the smoke, walking over here and go, what are you guys doing? I said, well, this is our spiritual group. Spiritual group? I thought you guys just sat in a room and cried and talked about your feelings and Jesus. And I was like, well, you lucked out. That's another night. You know, have a burger and a beer. (laughs) All of a sudden, this football coach comes over. He's looking for the fathers. He sees them, and he sits there, and he hangs out. And he goes, man, I didn't know Nick came to this. I didn't know David came to this. I didn't know Tom came to this. Same thing. I thought you were a bunch of crying weirdos, whatever. He said, I enjoyed this. What do you do next? I said, Mike, we're going to a children's hospital, and we're going to serve families next week for for service. You should come with us. So he did. He showed up. We served food. There was leftovers. They said, you and the priest and one other person take him upstairs. So I grabbed this guy, this football coach, and I take him upstairs, don't know where we're going. The floor we get off on is the NICU, mm-hmm. right? So the baby, intensive care for babies. We knock on the first door. This African-American lady comes to the door that looks like she hadn't slept or eaten in days. Mm-hmm. In fact, I said, are you hungry? And she said, I haven't eaten in three days. Mm-hmm. So fathers are there blessing the cookies and the plastic for He's blessing everything. And I would give it to Mike. Mike takes it in there. It seems like he's in there for an hour and a half, maybe a minute and a half is what he was in there for. 6'2", 250 pounds, ex-football player, current fireman, buries his head in my chest. I'm 6'8", as you guys joked about in the beginning. He buries his head in my chest, and he's sobbing, and he says, I've never done anything like this in my life. Mm. What do you do next? I said, Mike, we have worship. Mm. He's, oh, you know, I don't know. I said, Mike, just come. It's a bunch of guys. Father's preaching homilies, two men, because we're all that's in there. It's, it's awesome. It's the same guys you've enjoyed the last two weeks with. So I'm sitting there. We have confession, adoration, and mass on that given Wednesday night. The associate likes to do a healing holy hour and then mass on his night. But this night we had confession, adoration, and mass. So long story short, I don't think he's coming. Then he comes in at the tail end of adoration. The confessional door's still open. I'm nodding to it two or three times. He's going, no. He finally gives in. He goes back there, comes out sobbing, goes through mass, receives our Lord. At the end of it, comes up and hugs me and says, I haven't been to confession in 16 years, and I haven't been to Mass in five. Mm. What do you do next? And I said, well, you're out of luck. We're going to be crying and bring your Kleenex yeah. next yeah. week. <laughs> Look at you now. And he shows up on that last night, not only with himself, but with his 24-year-old son that just had a baby out of wedlock. Wow. He's been coming ever since. Praise God. And this is when I knew this is different, and this is in the way, the mold of what Jesus Christ did. He knew that, and this is why everybody loves the chosen, right? You're seeing all these aspects of people. You're seeing them having fun together, worshiping together, serving together. Jesus is teaching them. And so you're seeing this fullness of a man. And so that's what we tapped into. And we're going around the country and just saying, giving parish missions. So I give three talks. I give my conversion story because I want people to know, doesn't matter what you've done, God can use you. Two, 
that uh, the identity talk, who you are, who you are, and what you're here for. There's a purpose for your life, and you find joy in that. And then you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. It isn't just for the Protestants, right? The personal relationship thing. They got it from us, right? We mm-hmm. That's ours to own and to utilize. Mm-hmm. So we find it. We live it. And then while I'm there, I've asked Father to give me five or six men that want to walk together, that want authentic friendships, that want a place where they could take the mask off and just be themselves and be real and be accepted. And if you want to do that and you want to do it for somebody else, then I'll help you build it. And then we continue to walk with them. You know, Fuzati's helping me build a new website that's no longer, hey, John Edward Speaker and Podcaster, because it's not about me. It's about what Jesus wants and he wants his men back. So just a guy in the pew, here's the issue for men, here's the need, here's what we're doing about it, here's how we can help you. Right. You know, it's 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 awesome because uh, I'm thinking of the last time that John came on, he shared his testimony, and he leaves me speechless every time. Yeah. <laughs> We're just sitting there like, listen, the Spirit's moving, man. You're anointed for yeah. this work. We're praying for you, Thank and you. I want to sign you up for a mission tonight Dude, I'd for love this it. parish. Thank so we're, we're going to make that happen. I mean, it's been something that I've wanted to, but it's exactly what you're saying. It's like it's in my heart. I want to bring MPG here, what we had in San Diego. Um, but it's just like, it's just tough, dude. Like I yeah. need brothers to step up. So if you can get that mobilized and going, man, that would be huge for me. So John, you know, just like father Rich just said that he wants to get you in for a, a mission and help this start one of these, how can people listening, uh, whether you're a priest, whether you, you're a man, whether you're a woman who said that my parish needs this for the men there. Or you're a seminarian going into your yeah. pastoral yeah. year and you're trying to figure out something to bring to the pastor that would be a, a good thing for you to mobilize and get going. How do they get just a guy in the pew? That's right. That's right. Well, that's that taken. work for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, it is. Yeah. How do they find out more? How do they get connected? How do they, how so do they you, work with you? Yeah, so you can go to the website, justaguyinthepew.com, and on there is um, a events and book me page. In the middle of it is a link that'll take you to all the stuff we do about men. So you fill out your four men, you can fill out the form and they can schedule a call with me. I'll actually get on the phone with them. Like I'm not a diva. I'm not hiding behind 15 people. Or anything. I want to talk to people mm-hmm. like this is what I want to do with my life for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So I want to get on the phone with you and sit, figure out how we can best help your parish. And then once we do that, we get father involved because we never want to do anything without a pastor's permission, right? We're not, we're not renegades out here. We're going to follow what the, the, the avenue we need you to go into church in the right way. But we involve him, we involve the deacon, whoever needs to be involved, and then I go in and do the mission. And so we give the three talks. I spend a Friday and Saturday or a Sunday and Monday night there, and then uh, we'll do the training. And then afterwards, part of what Fuzadi's helping me with is to build a leader portal for ongoing leader training for the men so we continue to walk with them. So I'll make sure that all those links are, you know, down below. So if you're watching there in the comments, if you're listening, it's going to be on the website. Like John, you said, you want to, we want to be seen, heard, and loved. Yeah. If you're seeing us, great on YouTube. It's down there. <laughs> if you're hearing us, awesome. But if you're loving this, make sure that you click subscribe, share this, and then go and check out what John's doing because really it's a very unique men's ministry. And, you know, we started this episode on the preface of why the, me- the church is collapsing without men, and it went into a completely different direction. And I think what we find is that it's not necessarily collapsing. There is men holding it up. We have some atlases in the church Mm -hmm. putting it on their back. Mm -hmm. So let's go help these men who are doing it. Guys like John, guys like you, you know, guys like you, you know, the things that all three of you men have done that I've witnessed, there are men holding this up and hopefully you can inspire more men to do these types of things. So God equips those who he calls. You don't have to have you know, anything but a desire. And none of this would be happening. None of this would be happening if it wasn't for you. Yeah. I, I had to show up, man. That's all. And, That's my talent. And show you know up. what? I mean, the best ability. This wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for Howard. Yeah. yeah. The best ability is This guy gives you a hard time, Howard, but you're the man. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're holding up the church and the Catholic talk. Amen. Uh, so, yeah, John, it's always, always a pleasure hanging out with you. I mean, yeah. we get to hang out with this dude. Uh, more than most people in the Catholic world, which yeah. is great because he's he's one of us. You know, dudes like Thank him, you. Keith Nestor. Yeah. You know, these are kind of, you know, this is kind of our peer circle. Mm-hmm. So it's always great to talk with you, hang out with you, and, you know, I and see what too. you're doing. I, yeah, I just love the fact that I mean, we've got a we've got a good Baptist brother coming in to the faith and just blowing it up, man, and just doing great yeah. things. Keith Nestor coming over and and just you know, it's the the universality of the church. Like We're Jesus signing some is good free agents. Like, <laughs> it's it's like, alive. It's just beautiful, it's man. Alive. I mean, and it's like people are coming into the oneness. I'm seeing what Jesus is doing. He's just like he's drawing us into this oneness, and we're responding to the evils of today. And 
it is the mystical body of Christ, and and he is he's assembling members, man. And mm-hmm. and you out there listening in right now, and and hearing this content, you're a part of that, man. So go all in. It it means everything. And and hearing a testimony like John's, I know if you feel like I feel absolutely inspired, filled with hope. There's nothing that's going to hold you back from the glory that is in, intended for you in your life, not only in heaven, but in this earth, you know, to realize that God's light is shining in the darkness and you are called to be that light. So we want to wish you all a beautiful week, a great day. And if we're commuting with you, make sure that you're sharing the show with your friends that you're commuting with. You know, this is a wonderful way to evangelize and spread the good news. So thank you for connecting with us with the talk show. Thank you to our patrons our supporters. Thank you to our sponsors and everybody that supports us. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.